All right. Before we start, can we just all close our eyes? Just for a moment. And as we close our eyes, let us put aside the thoughts and the worries of everyday life and everything that can fill our minds. Let's choose this morning to focus on looking at God's word and what he has to say. Lord God, I pray that you help us to hear your words. I pray that you help us to listen for what you are saying to each one of us. To test it against your infallible word of God. To take what is good. And to allow to transform us into more of your likeness. In Jesus' name. Alright, so this morning. I'm talking about the thankful heart. Um, allowing accurate biblical theology to guide us. Oh, before I get there. So, theology is the study of God. Um, we as humans all serve something. If I believed that I served nothing, what I would be saying is that I'm in control of everything. Because as soon as there's a power greater than yourself, whether it be a God that is named or whether it be a force, it means... Go there. No, it's okay, it's dead. It means that... There's something bigger than us. There's something dictating and guiding our lives. Now, the, the study of God helps us to understand the teachings of Him and so follow His ways and His guidelines. In fact, the study of God helps us to know who He is. And in knowing who He is, it helps us to please Him with our lives. And it also helps us to understand our place within the cosmos and the great scheme of things. And that is vital. Alright, so our, our scripture, I'll read it again. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I'll be covering four aspects today um, in the short time we have. Firstly, Starting at the heart, so I'm going to start at the heart of the issue. We're then going to look, to look at the poisoned heart. Um, and then we'll go through to looking at the heart that forgets, the forgetful heart. And lastly, we'll look at healing the ungrateful heart. Right, so we, we'll dive straight in, starting at the heart of it all, the beginning, the origin, the core. And where is that? Well, that's right in the Garden of Eden. So we're going back to the beginning. Now, what we need to understand at the start is that Satan worked out and continues to work out a carefully tried and tested strategy. I don't know, and we don't know, if this is the first attempt that Satan had at deceiving Adam and Eve. But we know that this was the successful moment. It's the moment recorded for us. Um, so... In Genesis 3, it says the following. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from all of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Okay, so it starts off. This is, this is his strategy. One 
innocent question. And that question was, did God really say? You see, his question sought to raise doubt. Not so much doubt of what God was saying, but doubt about God's intentions. And that is where it was most dangerous. A question is like planting a seed, a weed seed, in a vegetable garden. You don't see it initially. But the effects only come once it's taken root and it starts to grow out. Or it's like a virus being planted in the body. You don't see it. And in fact, you don't really necessarily see the seed, that virus. You only see the symptoms of it that come out. And that small virus affects the whole of the body in dramatic fashion. And this one question leads us to, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. So it leads us to framing God as a liar. What, what does that mean? It leads us to saying God's motives are not pure. God, at the core of creating the whole universe and everything in it, the core of it, His motives are against us. His motives are to withhold from us. His motives are to make us miserable. That's what it did. That small seed, did God really say, transform our thinking completely. We ignore all the previous evidence and proof of God, God's goodness and His favor and His faithfulness in our lives. We assume that He is like us sinful people, that He has ulterior motives at heart, and that what He says is not what is really there. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. What Eve had done, had done there was she was losing perspective. Eve turned the temporal, the temporary, the fruit into something that was much bigger than it really was. She made it. She took God off of his place as, as king, the thing that should captivate us, the, the, the wonderful, glorious God. And he, she put the fruit there and said, that now becomes my desire. She did this. She was enticed by what she saw. It was beautiful. It looked good. She was consumed by desire. She had lust after this thing that looked good, that was good to eat. Something that was not permitted. And she was ambitious. She wanted it. And so she took it. And so starting at a small place, a carefully worded question, everything else crumbled. I have a feeling that's why God hates gossip so much. Because what do we normally do with gossip? We say something like this. Did he really? Was that really? The heart of gossip is to ask questions and to cause the person we're talking to to question another. That's what gossip is. And in fact, that 
is the exact same strategy that God keeps doing. I mean, that Satan did and keeps doing again and again. Okay, so this leads to that poisoned heart. And what was it? So Eve made five mistakes. She compromised with a rebel, number one, compromise. She changed God's word, and we'll look at that. She considered the offer. She thought about it. And then she disobeyed. So she challenged God's um, law by disobeying it. And lastly, she leads Adam into sin as well. So we're going to look at these. Firstly, she compromised with the rebel. Can I say, never, ever, under any circumstances, compromise with someone who is a rebellious at heart and against God's word. Let's have a look at an example. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, so this was happening um, when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. Okay, talks about it in Jude. Michael did not entertain a conversation. He did not try and talk and discuss and compromise. He simply rebuked. And this is the sort of example that we need to take in, in overcoming. And this is the sort of thing that causes poison in our hearts. Then she changed God's word. Um, we need to be very careful to keep going back to what God said exactly as he said it. That's why we need to be in the word all the time. Because we have a tendency, you know the broken record? I mean the broken telephone? You know that game? You have a whole lot of people in line and the first one says something and then they say it to the next and the next. And eventually by the end something else comes out. In fact, even when we tell a story... If you hear someone keeping on telling a story, it seems to be different all the time. So we need to be careful to keep going back to God's word. So how did she do this? Number one, God said, you may freely eat. Eve said, we may eat. Then God gave them full rights, completely, abundance. She said that they had access. It's subtle, but it's a difference. Abundance. Or access. We can have all. Yes, we can have. Eve said that you could, um, that they could not touch. God did not restrict touching. He didn't. He restricted eating. So, going a bit slow. Um, to examine and understand what was forbidden was okay. To take part was the thing that was forbidden. So they could look at it. They could go to the tree. They could be there. The only thing they could not do was not eat from it. At the end of Revelation, it says, it calls out a curse on anyone who changes any word within the writings. The thing is, we have to be careful. To make it too strict becomes a problem. To make it too lenient becomes a problem. To take God's word as it is, his word and follow it in that way is what keeps us safe. Okay, nextly, or next, she considered the offer dangerous, dangerous. Why? Um, I went to Park Town Boys High School. It's a school in Johannesburg, it's an all boys school. Um, it's one of those schools, old South African style school, where male machoism rides rampant and there's all sorts of the rebellion and that, the guys, that's what they do. 
Um, and if you ask anyone there, it will be, oh, boys will be boys. I became a Christian when I was in grade, uh, standard nine. So that's the second last year, grade 12, going into grade 13. And I wasn't inside. inside. I wasn't a major, tough, amazing, it's fine, um, strong, purposeful. I am very human and I had my doubts. But by God's grace, one decision I made was when the boys brought these things, and there were many different things that are clearly against God's word that they did. When they brought it, I made sure on the outside, I said no. I drew firm boundaries and I refused. Even on the inside, if I felt my emotion, my sinful man was saying, oh, that would be interesting. On the outside, I said no. By drawing those clear boundaries, they left me alone. They, they understood who I was. They said, all right, this guy's not going to partake in this. And they just left me be. They, they didn't push me. They didn't pursue me. I remember going to university and there was a young man there who did not want to get involved. He wasn't a Christian, but he did not want to get involved with the stuff that was happening. But he was not firm in his boundary. He sort of said, oh, no, I don't feel like it. And because they saw that he was considering, they kept pestering him until he gave in. With sin, if you consider and you don't firmly on the, on the outset draw a line and cut it off, what happens? It comes back and back and back until it weighs you down. So Eve discusses the matter with Satan. And by discussing it, she was considering it. When you do not put down someone's evil idea or action, they get more ambitious and double their attempts to win you over because they can see it is possible. It's a challenge. They like that. Don't let them see it. Satan does not question the law. He actually accuses God of jealousy and dishonesty. This is why he's so rebellious. He doesn't say that what God says is wrong. He just questions what God is doing with it. So he calls him a liar. It is not that you will die. It is that you will be like God. Yes, God said that. But he said it because he wants the worst for you. Um, he lied to you because he does not want you to be like him. He's scared that you'll be as great as him. That is where his danger comes in. And if you start to consider what he has to say, you are on a rocky road and liable to fall. Let me back. All right. Let me get my... And then, let's go on. Uh, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world. Anything like that, we should not take part in. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James is clear on that. Draw a strong line. Now flee from youthful, youthful lusts, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call the Lord from a pure heart. Flee from those. Get away from them. Do not consider them. Do not discuss them. Okay, then she disobeyed. If you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. That's in Isaiah 1. We're doing Isaiah this week in the, in the Bible boot camp. That's what God is saying. He doesn't want the burnt offerings and all these other things and the, oh, I'm so sorry and I wish I hadn't. He just wants our obedience, plain and simple. Um, 
With her own mouth, she had said that she understood what the instruction was. She said it. We must not eat. This is where her will came in. When she ate, it was her choice. Right? When we sin and we know that we're not supposed to, or when we get involved with stuff that we know we shouldn't be, we are willfully choosing to disobey. We need to be careful. We need to choose wisely. Let our wills be planted in following the things of God. We sin when we challenge God with our disobedience. Then she leads Adam into sin. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Let us be careful of how we live our lives because all of us lead someone. Our lives are an example. In fact, when I am in Christ, I am a new creation. The old passes away. Everything becomes new. I now become a priest, a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a royal priest. Royalty is watched. Priests are followed. You don't say, oh, well, let me become a Christian, but I don't want to be the priest and I don't want to be royal. No, you become it. That's a part of accepting it. Remember that you are an heir to the throne of God. You are a child of God. He has adopted us as sons and daughters. Therefore, it would mean if it were possible to, for God to pass on, which it's not, and then Jesus, who is the rightful heir, you and me would be next in line to rule all of creation. That's the place we're at. We are sons and daughters. And therefore we lead by our lives. So our lives need to be led carefully so that we may lead others towards Him and not away from Him. Um, I got into trouble with my family. I'm just going to throw this in. Um, they were talking about Christmas and all the celebrations and Santa and you know, why are kids scared of Santa? And my comment was, I believe that kids are scared of Santa because he is an antichrist. And they stopped talking. I'll explain my, my meaning. Christmas for the Christian should be a time of celebration of the gift of God and Jesus Christ who came to earth for all of us. Santa Claus takes the attention off of God, places the attention on people and what they want, their desires, their needs. Therefore, because he is putting himself or because we put him in place of God, he becomes an antichrist. You see, there is the antichrist, what Jesus talks about, the abomination that causes desolation, that one day will come. But there are also antichrists. And an antichrist is anyone who places themselves in the place of God. So therefore, leading Adam into sin, anyone who leads another away from God. If someone comes to you and they're struggling, lead him to Jesus. If anyone has a problem, lead him to Jesus. Because that's where you solve. Don't think that I can't solve anyone's problem. I can work with them. I can do what I can. But my best way to assist anyone is to lead him to Jesus. Because Jesus is all and enough. Amen. All right. So then we have the, the forgetful heart. Um, you know, the Israelites, you remember them. If you've been following with the Bible boot camp and you've walked through with us Exodus and Numbers and um, Judges and Kings, you will see that the Israelites are not very 
they don't remember so well. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Won't it be, wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? God is about to take them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, an amazing land. What do they do? They complain. But as surely as I live, and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence, and the miraculous signs are performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. Our complaining. I mean, you look at the Israelites. Miracles in Egypt. Lead them out. Parting the waters. They walk through it. In the wilderness. Manna from heaven. Water from rocks. Incredible stuff. And yet, as soon as an obstacle comes in place, they forget. How about me? You know, I pray and I'm stressing and then God provides and I'm all happy. The next time there's an obstacle, I'm stressing. Why do we forget so easily? Forgetfulness is a problem for us. The reason forgetfulness is a problem is because it leads us to forget how good God is. And then we start focusing on our problems. And what happens on our, with our problems? We start complaining. Oh, why is this? Oh, poor me. This is terrible. That is another disease of the heart that causes us to be ungrateful. Okay. We complain because we forget. So what do we forget? We forget, or the Israelites forget, that, they, that God delivered them from slavery with a mighty hand and miraculous arms. Oh, a miraculous act, sorry. We forget that God saved us from ourselves when we were steeped in sin. Is that dead again? That's fine. No, 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 I'll switch it off. That's fine. Um, we forget because why have we come to Christ? Wasn't there a reason? Do we forget so quickly what He saved us from and what our lives were like then and the emptiness? Often we look at the stuff that was okay, but we forget about the core stuff that was the real reason why we made the change. You see, grumbling, whining, and thanklessness are not ultimately the heart's response to circumstances, but the heart's response to God. Why? Because we've forgotten who God really is. And our, what about our complaining? Our complaining, what is it normally? It's against God. The root of our complaining is saying, God, why is this happening? You are not, you are not good. You are not caring for me. You haven't because I don't have good. Right? Because we believe that God is the all-powerful, all-omnipient, omniscient, King of kings and Lord of lords. Therefore, He is control of all things. And if He's not, He's not that great God that we say is the creator of all stuff. And so, therefore, if I complain about any circumstance, actually, I'm complaining about what He has given me. Um, God who made the world and everything in it 
is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is, he is not served by hand, human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. You know what? I'm here, you are here because God placed you here. Everything you have comes from His hands. He has given you what you have. Maybe our question should not be a complaint about why I, do I not have, but rather, God, what do you want me to do where I am now? What do you have for me? What is the next adventure? You know, you look at all the adventure movies and read the stories. Adventure is never an easy sitting on the beach with everything you have. It's always a travel through some danger and facing new challenges and having to work hard. That's adventure. God, when we come into his kingdom, we are on a path of adventure with him. Okay, God did not did this so that they would seek him and perhaps, and perhaps reach out to him, reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So why does he place us where we are? Because the core of what God wants is communion with us. Us close to him, him close to us. That's what God is searching for. If time and time again, God gives people blessings. And what happens? They forget and leave. And then they think that's them. So what does he do? You look at the Bible. Oh, if you, if you do not obey, I will have to judge you. The judgment brings you to a point of falling on your knees and reason, realizing you are not God so that you will come back to me. Everything that happens in our lives is so that we are close to him. I, I would like to say, if we were close to him, it would be possible we would be so abundantly blessed beyond our wildest dreams that we would have no want or need. Yes? But maybe our hardship is not because of his bad intentions, but rather because of his good intentions, that we can know him and be found in him. Okay, so I'm going to look at practical aspects of a healing heart uh, or healing the ungrateful heart. This is this lady. Let's see if the pointer works. Yep. Oh, no, it doesn't really. The lady right on the right hand side, her name is Haley uh, Bartholomew. And she actually was on TED Talks, interestingly enough. Um, you know TED Talks? Okay, and she's an Australian woman. In 2008, um, she wasn't enjoying life. She was very unhappy. Um, she describes herself as feeling lost and sick on a treadmill. It was, for her, it was, it was enormous. It was too big. Why was she feeling like this? Well, she had a look at her life. Um, in fact, she went to find counsel from a nun. Um, and she looked at her life and she thought, well, actually, my life is its nothing bad. It's not like it, she didn't have trouble. She didn't have death. She didn't have things being taken from her. Her life was normal. Um, and in this conversation with the nun, she came up. Well, the nun said to her, you should think of something that you can be grateful for each day. So she came up with this concept of 365 grateful. And what she did is every day she took one photograph of something that she could be thankful for. And then she would print out the photograph and, and she would look at it and reflect on it. 
And some amazing things came to mind. So, for instance, she said her husband was not romantic. He wasn't a romantic guy at all. And um, this was a grumble for her. And then she noticed she took a photograph. He was preparing supper. And in the photograph, he saw her, him, she saw him placing a piece of pie on her plate. And she noticed it was the biggest piece of pie. And then she thought back and realized he always gives her the biggest piece of pie. And now, and so by seeing this, from having this, oh, he's not romantic, he, she realized the ways in which he did love her. With, with her children, she was homeschooling. She looked after her two daughters. And this was becoming somewhat boring. And then in some of the photographs, she noticed the hands that they had and the joy in their faces. And she realized the immense joy and, and wonder and beauty and privilege she had of having her children with her each day and being able to raise them like this. These were things that she realized she was not being grateful for. But as she looked at what she could be grateful for, so her heart turned. So here's the simple steps that I drew up from it. Stop. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Look around. The reason we stop is because our minds are so busy. The reason we breathe is to slow ourselves down. Then we look to see what is there. When we look, we are able to see what is actually there. And once we see, it reminds us and we can remember. And so if we were to stop striving, running, searching, but start living in a moment. For me, I've been intentional over the last while. Put down my phone and look at what's happening around me. If I'm in school, I'm in class, stop. Don't worry about the next lesson. Look and see what's happening there. And it's amazing how much more fulfilling and wonderful and grateful I become. When I'm driving, stop. Look outside. Look at what's actually there. See the beauty in the little things. When we do this, we become so much more grateful because we start to see what God is giving us all the time that we so often miss. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, we are called to peace. And be thankful. And so in closing... Devote yourselves to prayer. Be thankful and watchful. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we will take nothing out of it. So, as our starting point, let's end. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For being thankful in all circumstances is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. Amen.